there was so many from my perspective so many hilarious memes that came out of that event so i was gonna ask you what's so funny about the montgomery brawl I, I think I mean there's so many ways you could make the funny if you if you narrated that like it was an actual fight and treating because oh yeah it was, right it was it was <laughs> dismal right you just like like now the technique's all wrong like what do they do what are they doing here like like that uh, for it um, hello and welcome to the what's so funny about podcast brought to you by the liberation comedy project liberationcomedy.org i'm your host pedro silva on what's so funny about we say that we talk to funny people about serious topics today's guest is john winmuller john is a performer a professor of conflict resolution and the director of the Washington Improv Theater's Wit at Work program, their corporate training and applied improv branch of WIT. We look forward to sharing this episode with you. Enjoy. So thanks for being here, John. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Now, the question I love asking people is, you know, how did they get into comedy or improv in your case? When there's so many different directions that life can take you, how did you end up here? Um, I don't think I fit the way a lot of people think about uh, comedy as like, oh, they were the class clown or something like that, which actually, I, and when you talk to comics, that's often not the case, right? You're the awkward, shy person uh, is the, the story you often hear for it. But I just comedy just not in general uh for it um it wasn't until i was uh well into grad school and then actually doing work as a as a phd as a professor uh, and i so my background's in conflict resolution uh phd and so i was working in a lot of really difficult social conflicts um everything like uh doing work around post riots in dc uh for doing work a lot of sort of intractable social conflict around youth violence in dc uh, and it's it's really rewarding, but when you're doing conflict resolution work, uh, it's kind of, like, kind of like social work or a lot of the helping professions. You're you have the least power in the room over something mm. that you care a lot about, and, and that's fine. That's 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 the role that you play, but it can get exhausting. And it's the same reason why there's a lot of burnout in that. And so I just started doing improv just as a fun hobby for the most part. I done a little bit in college and got some background for that, but that was just kind of on the side. There was a workshop; it seemed fun, and I got a little bit into it there. But really. The majority of it where I really took it seriously and then got into it performing and, and whatnot was just because I wanted a chance to meet new people, to connect, to laugh, to not have to scrutinize every word I said, to think about how it would affect the parties that I was trying to serve and things like that. Mm. So I, I just did, I did it for fun and for a break. Uh, and it's great for that. It's that, uh, but uh, it, it, it snuck up on me. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I have a friend that's uh, kind of snuck, uh, being a magician snuck up on him. He did it because he just needed to do something with his hands. And uh, <laughs> so he learned magic tricks because, you know, sometimes he would get a little nervous. And the next thing you know, he just kept going and going. And now he's like a performing magician. And, uh, you know, so I guess stuff does sneak up on you. So, you know, you have an interesting background starting in conflict resolution. And then I love the, the self-care component that it sounds like was a part of what you did, especially being a former pastor. There's some things that I feel like I could relate to and um, very similar to like a social worker sometimes or an activist or something like that, where you just kind of get. Uh, burnt out but in the same time there's a lot of ridiculous things that come up 
in those situations, but you're not allowed to um, talk about how ridiculous they may be sometimes because it seems like you might not be taking the situation as seriously. So it's great that you found a way to give a space for yourself. That's something I would encourage a lot of people to do, to find space for themselves. And then you're using that gift that you cultivated to then work with other people. So uh, I guess the next question I would ask you is, uh, how do you see improv or comedy serving serving efforts to build social cohesion in uh, the larger areas of society? Like, how do we use these tools of comedy and improv to bring people together uh, through differences? Um, I think for one thing, before you even get to the, like the, the big step of like, how does comedy affect everything? I, I, as we're saying it out loud, I realize like, I think that's a big part of just self-care, right? I just think that comedy is something... Uh, the world is difficult. Uh, everyone faces some trauma to different degrees, but it, I don't know anyone who's going through life totally unscathed. They probably would be unsufferable, <laughs> insufferable mm. if they were. <laughs> All right, and um, and so I think that's one part of it. That a great deal of it is healing. I think that's part of it. Mm. I think another aspect about like why I think comedy is so important for these kind of issues is that. Um, for the most part, comedy doesn't work if it's not true. I think a lot, a mm. lot of comedy is truth telling, right? That the, the one of probably one of the best known books in improv uh, is called Truth and Comedy, and mm. I'm, I'm iffy on the book itself, but the the title at least gets it right uh, on it like that. That it doesn't work without there being truth behind it. Even when you have like, if it's a silly sketch based comedy and it's just character that's really kind of overblown and wild, it's almost always because there's an element of truth behind it mm -hmm. that we recognize like there's the old snl sketch sketch that got more people to break on set than just about anything else the debbie downer sketch with rachel dratch uh, doing it mm. uh, and she just finds a way to to look at the downside of everything uh, to the extreme but everyone's knows someone that can be like that right or they find mm -hmm. that themselves sometimes you know, like, I'm just... and so it's it's speaking truth um, and it's often when it's the most difficult that it gets the laugh uh when i'm do workshops for folks. Uh, and I, and I sort of like, I promise none of the assignments have the goal or the, any goal to be, try to be funny. Like that doesn't mm -hmm. rot way to be funny is to try to be funny. Try. And, mm -hmm. um, that, and I said, but you've all been funny. Like all human beings are funny. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. that. and that, um, uh, if they've ever been in a meeting and said the thing or heard someone else say the thing that like, everyone was thinking, but particularly mm -hmm. it wasn't being said, Mm -hmm. And that's what gets the laugh. That part, I think, of we often talk about laughter as a release. I think it can be a release of grief, but I think it also can just be a release of truth, right? That mm -hmm. uh, we're getting that out there. And so that's that's what it is. I know that if you're doing stand-up, and then it comes out in improv to a degree also, that you say these things that you think are intensely personally you and that you find mm -hmm. difficult. What, what gets the laugh is that you realize that, oh, everyone else can connect to that either directly or in some ways. So I don't, I don't want to... God, it would be so terrible if you imagine a stand-up stand truth-telling. I don't think anyone wants to go to that, right? But right. <laughs> it's, it's a perspective on it, but it it is, it's telling the truth that needs to be said. And it's, I think, um, if you can get truth and uh, and shame, maybe mm. put that together to let that go, because um, it bundling it up doesn't do anything, right? That's not right. dealing with the root causes of it. So I think that's a lot of what goes into comedy as well. Yeah. I think it's really difficult to imagine life being okay without comedy. And then the final thing, it's it's also just in the bread and butter of comedy on the sort of, if you had to make an algorithm for comedy, which you can't, there's no way to, to guarantee right. that. 
but the O in sketch uh, and in improv, we often talk about heightening. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's like, oh no, what would be worse, right? It just keeps mm-hmm. getting worse and worse. And I think life has a way of doing that too. And that itself is something that's recognizable. Yeah. No, it was funny um, when you started bringing that up about the truth piece, I was uh, started smiling because I remembered an episode of The Simpsons where um, Homer, there was a comedian and he was saying something. I don't remember what it was, but I know it was irreverent because it's The Simpsons. And then Homer's like, it's funny because it's true. And he just starts like cracking up laughing. And I remember thinking about that. And uh, and that was kind of like a profound moment for me in um, my like more comedic expression. Because people used to say I was like way too serious when I was younger. And th- that might have been the case. Um, but there were some things of truth that I, I almost felt like I was kind of being uh, protective of folks of not telling like certain stories because I don't want to make people look bad and bring out shame. Like that word that you brought up. But then, you know, the older I got and the more I started to share some of my background, um, I found that, you know, more people could relate, like you said, and, um, and that some of the things that I was trying to be, you know, protecting folks through, you know, in my mind, I thought I was protecting folks really was like kind of keeping us a little bit ensnared, you know, um, because it demystifies some stuff when you talk about it. Like one thing, my name obviously is uh, Pedro Silva, but it's I have a long middle name too, Sejorinha Hamos Montero. Um, and it, that name always caused a lot of grief for me growing up where I grew up. And uh, so I kind of like, you know, try to distance myself from it for a long time. And I was doing stand up recently and I did this whole bit about my name. And uh, I talked about like basically wishing I had a black sounding name. So that people would uh, not like look at my face and then think my name doesn't match and or whatever the case may be. And then I just kept like saying, I, I, this is, it was based on a real experience where I, I saw a white guy with a name that sounded like a black person's name, where people would think of the black person's name. And I was like, Dang, I wish that was my name. And uh, and but it, was, it used to be something that caused me like annoyance and grief. But now I think it's like funny. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it's complicated, but it's, it, it makes it funny and, it, and it's true, you know. And that's what's going to be the good, that's good, funny stuff. I and mean, you can make jokes about airplane food, like, yeah, all right, there's some truth in that, but that doesn't. But you get to stuff that's real. Um, I don't do a lot of stand up, but when I do, like I, for a long time, I was opening my set with I have a lazy eye and I'm, I'm super mm-hmm. self conscious about that. So I just start mm-hmm. off right from the beginning of that. And that's what finally started hitting. Like, so, you know, I have this, this lazy eye, which is like, who, what? jerk came up with that and that's such a malicious name like look my eyes being entrepreneurial like you're just both yeah. natural, same as you're right boring like mine's on shark tank and it's just yeah, such a, yeah. I mean, no one else comes up yeah. with names like no one calls it you know for other things like no one calls it lazy dick right like no one for <laughs> <laughs> doing that right like why why didn't we get uh, that and but that's so that's starting for the joke but it's also starting the thing of like the thing that would bring me most self-conscious and most embarrassed like if i wasn't right. thinking about that and right like, and that's what works. Not like, oh, what do the audience find funny? Like, if right. you want to pass away if it gets funny to get funny, like, what what's something that's meaningful and hard for you to be able right. to do? Um, yeah. The the funniest thing about that incident that made me actually use it in the comedy bit was I was waiting for nine hours to get on a plane. And uh-huh. and uh, this and so the flight attendant tells me I was on standby. And she's like, oh, you can get on the plane. And she gives me the boarding pass. And then I'm like so excited. Like, yeah, somebody get on this plane. And then she runs up to me and was like, can I get that boarding pass back? And then I was like, I said, oh, uh, yeah, because I didn't really look at it. But the boarding pass said uh, Dante Williams. And she thought that I looked like a, she is, 
just just because I'm black, she just gave me the Dante Williams boarding pass. And then I was like, she was like, I'm sorry. For some reason, I thought your name was Dante Williams. And then in my mind, I'm like, you know why you thought my name was Dante Williams. (laughs) But then when she gave the border pass to somebody who was a white dude, (laughs) and then I was like, no. (laughs) He got the name. My life would have been so different if I had that name. So then it was like, that's kind of how that. I think yeah, you got it, like, and you've got, and so you can you can either do that, which, what she did, like I don't know how I did that, which I get, like we're trying to be right. polite and around that, but right. I think like in the field of conflict resolution, I think a lot of people when they think about that, they think of the stereotype of the person being like, all right, I want ever to welcome anyone here. It's very important that we create a safe space. You're the ground and very grounded, and just we're going to keep everything calm. And, and there's good intent, and there's some reason behind a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Same time, a lot of the people I know particularly folks who have been doing it for a long time, and particularly when you're when you're doing work, and honestly, like really difficult, intractable, long conflicts with high stakes, they, they're mischievous, right? They, mm-hmm. I, I, I curse. And almost everyone I know in doing the work that does it with, if doing work when you're at the level of like, people are being shot, people are, are losing their lives. Right. That, that they they use humor as part of it. And that, and I, and I think mischief ends up being this core competency for doing good work around mm, yeah uh, i can uh i can totally see that so would you uh say there's anything that's um off limits with comedy especially in the context conflict resolution spaces and the the serious spaces that you do your work in would you say there's anything off limits uh i think part of it's baked into comedy um uh, don't punch down like right that that's uh, that that's you talk to anyone in any comedy, they'll immediately recognize that. And I think we forget that that's jargon. And so for folks who don't know, like the idea about punching down is um, aim for the aim for the target with power and, and privilege. Like that was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a billionaire slipping on a banana on their yacht, like falling out. Mm-hmm. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. That uh, someone who's been working, cleaning hotel rooms, you know, for a 12 hour day who mm-hmm. is walking home and slips in the mud and fall like, no one's like hopefully right. not laughing right there's some point right. where like that's so bad you have to laugh that's a different kind of the thing for right you. and so i think for me uh the rule is is don't punch down and the nice thing about it is when you're teaching uh comedy it sounds like you're just doing it because i wanted to bring social justice in the world which mm-hmm. yes absolutely and at the same time i appreciate that generally punching down doesn't land as well with audiences like every now mm-hmm. and then yeah it works like every now and then you can get a group of hateful people who like you yelling hateful things. But mm. for the most part, uh, I like that the physics of comedy means that that often breaks. Uh, yeah. that, that to me is something to keep in mind. I do think um, we're missing uh, that something's become you, you get in trouble for in some venues for comedy that I really miss. I think that a lot of folks um, uh, it was happening. I don't know. Actually, we're a generation younger than I was teaching. So I was a college professor up until about eight years mm-hmm. ago when I started doing this. And I was in a class and showed Dr. Strangelove when doing um, work on nuclear policy, which is mm-hmm. satire. Just, uh, there. Mm-hmm. And we realized that the the folks weren't getting, the the, the kids weren't getting satire. Is that mm-hmm. mean and horrible? Like, yeah, but that's, that's doing it. It's sort of like, you know, the, a modest proposal about eating children wasn't actually suggesting that eating children was was taking this bad thing and heightening it right and i think as a way to poke fun of it and take some of the power away from that and i think we've it's felt to me sometimes like we've lost some competency around Mm -hmm. recognizing satire about being able to get oh they're not doing it because they say that's good 
they're mm-hmm. doing it to show that that's terrible and that right. that's the strength of it. And I right. go back part of it. If it doesn't work with your audience, then is it working at all? But I right. satire as a way. And so I hope we don't lose that. But I think that's where it's getting dicier that sometimes when you hear that, oh, there's a comic that got thrown off the majority of time when I hear that a comic's being thrown out be- because of stuff, it's for good reason, right? They're like, they're right. watching, down, they're, they're saying terrible, terrible stuff. But every mm-hmm. now and then I'll hear a case where it's like, they're obviously, it's satire. It's meant to right. make fun of that. Uh, and it's it's kind of missing out on the point of it. Yeah, I like sometimes I like the kind of comedy that I do is more like I don't call it. It's not as long as the edge of self-deprecation, but it's not like really self-deprecation. And then it goes on the big like kind of like we're all human and we're we're weird and we do crazy, stupid things. Um, but it's so it's not like any kind of punching down or anything like that. But there's some um, things that I i've written down or thought about saying that i haven't said um simply because uh it would it's i don't know it's weird because i want someone i want to say it and i want to challenge people to witness what is arising in them when they hear the thing you know what i mean and um and not just think about it being right or wrong that someone said something but like, what's your experience and be curious about your own experience of hearing it. You know, what, what do you bring with you to the table? That's the instructive element uh, of liberation comedy. Um, that I don't get to do in like sets, but hopefully over time we'll be able to create, you know, some kind of spaces like that. That's why I like, I love what you all are doing with improv is like, it gives people, I think a chance both to be very present but also to be curious about the process as well and to be able to kind of discover like this is what's arising in you in these moments i want to get into that a little bit more in a second um but before i do i want to ask you the what's so funny about question so um are you familiar with the montgomery brawl in alabama where the um these if you don't it won't be a good question to ask but basically uh this has happened like a, a month and some ago these uh people On the were, boat? had their boat docked. Yeah, yeah 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 and then the people jumped out and you know the one kid swam they were calling them aquamane and jermichael phelps and all sorts of other interesting names but it was so many from my perspective so many hilarious memes that came out of that event so i was gonna ask you what's so funny about the montgomery brawl i i think i mean there's so many ways you could make the funny if you if you narrated that like it was an actual fight and treating because oh yeah it was, right it was it was <laughs> dismal right you just like like no the technique's all wrong like what do they do what are they doing here like like that uh for it um i think uh there's something that's just kind of funny about I know what I think the, the part of the, if I say the nugget, it starts now, it's just analyzing the comedy. So it takes some of the funny, right. from it. but if I, right. think that, if I had to pick like what the nugget of the premise of that is, it was that there was such sincere rage uh, executed so comically badly. I think like there's like, a, which I think we've all been like, I'm just so angry. I want to like, uh, like if you try to like punch the wall, why would you have it? You, and you miss, right? Like that kind of like thing like that, just, um, we get so angry, uh, and we get so incompetent <laughs> when we're like that. Um, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, uh, sincere, the sincere outrage met with human fallibility. And I know that's not like, that's a large theme. What's funny, but it's right. just, I, I, I can map that out to so many situations. Like, oh, I'm just so angry. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that that for me is part of what's going on. And it, it was, 
so much stuff that obviously this wasn't about to. I think also, God, people love being angry. Because like, when I'm angry about something, I'm right. Uh, right. And I often think that the more that more angry that people can get about, like, I, I'm right. I'm often wondering, like, so I'm guessing there's a lot of time where you're wrong and you know it. And so it feels good to be in this different yeah. space. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that that's part of what's going on with that uh, too for it. Um, yeah, I know for me, like being black, it was like it was a weird thing to because I couldn't stop. I'll be honest, like I couldn't stop laughing. And I I feel like a part if I analyze it, a part of it is that there's so many ways that like how that thing started. You've seen and we've seen in society like so many times where the outcome is like, you know, somebody dies, but no one died in this incident, which I think made it more of a relief and a release for people. And what was really comical to me too, was the amount of creativity that people came up when they were coming up with memes. It was like, just a, almost like this kind of like, it's a weird thing because, you know, I'm actually writing about it right now. I'm writing something called a funny thing happened on the way to Wakanda and just like kind of playing around with the because it was a lot of people were saying it was like black panther because like all of a sudden like black people were coming from everywhere like like helping this guy out and but it's like so complex but it also makes a farce of something that has been a part of the american landscape for a long time the tension of the racial tensions and then but it made it farcical in the sense that like no i think the fact that no one died on either side made it like almost like just extremely farcical and i don't know so that i just see, that, I just see it's a racism which no one can get so violent like which fine but compared to what it can that yeah that that yeah absolutely. also yeah. god it's um uh it's, it's like a, a weird thing to say i'm very conscious about saying of this while being white uh like right. racism, racism is fucking ridiculous like it, it's, oh yeah yeah it's, right, right it's huge it is horrible it is god awful it is such uh like we pick this arbitrary thing like negligible genetic difference like yeah like, so, that doesn't mean it's not important so like there's social fiction there's only one finger different from a podcast finger person but i'm putting my pointer finger and then you know flicking mm -hmm. the, one finger but social right. norm to get all different and so yeah it's just such a legacy and it comes up and it comes up for, like it's so it's it's so terrible yeah and so ridiculous the same and god yeah yeah so. yeah one of the things that has come up in a couple of podcasts is the the com comedic formula of uh tragedy plus time uh equals you know comedy and it, i kind of saw that playing out on the like on, with that scene and I mean, especially like all the juxtapositions, but that, that's, that could be a whole other podcast episode. And sorry, I threw that one out at you. No, I, no I, I, a lot of the work that I've done has like, uh, did work around, um, probably the one, uh, uh, most, my first project was doing work in Mount Pleasant in 91. There was a riot, a police car got set on fire and mm -hmm. that, it's already, you're already hitting racism when anything calls, a, it's called a riot because when white right. people it's called protest or insurrection, right? Right, right, right. right. Someone, someone who's not white does it like, oh, it just must be random violence, not actually having understandable right. motives and interests behind it, right? Right. Uh, it. So doing that and uh, that came out and I did work on the anniversary of the Baltimore, again, riots in Baltimore mm -hmm. in eight and talking about that. And so I, yeah, I find it fascinating and difficult. And it's this kind of thing that um, it's so intractable and, 
so difficult to work through. And yet at the same time, it's so ridiculous. And somehow that that's part of it. Like if we could, it's it, yeah, that that comes up over and over uh, with how it's done on it. Yeah. I, well, I'm hoping one day we'll be in the future and like, well, I guess we won't be around, but right. somebody will be in the future and they'll be like, when oh, we were racist and uh, you know or whatever and everybody will laugh at it how ridiculous it was yeah. i so. did uh in during that one of the dialogue someone said well i don't see why it's racist like obama is president and i i i laughed out loud by accident like yeah I, yeah, yeah. like like oh my friend like you really yeah um, yeah yeah so so doing that i do also <laughs> I, I think in comedy you get more it's kind of fascinating that whenever I hear like, oh, like too soon, and there's a little part of me that goes, but so what you, when I hear too soon, what you're telling me is it will, you'll get it. Like it will be funny. Yeah, now. It will be funny at some and point. I, and I jumped to wanting to find, I think one of the, I kept, one of the reasons why I had a problem with sketch comedy is I kept wanting to write a sketch. So I'm of an age, I was, and I grew up in Florida. I saw the Challenger explode. Mm, uh, I was like, they, we came out in middle school and junior high. We looked up in the sky and it was in Orlando, could see the, the sort of trail of it. It went up like this clearly didn't work. And then they described what happened uh, on it and like, oh, and the astronauts you know, instantly died was the official line of it. And I studied like a lot of folks nerded out about space. And when they were describing mm -hmm. it, like, no, like the capsule should have maintained like, no, I think they they didn't. Uh, and mm -hmm. it was for the first time I ever like started to not like, I don't know if the government's being fully honest with us. Mm -hmm. like, uh, and, the, um, and it was actually all the evidence turned out to be the case that no, it wasn't immediate or it took a, but then I started like, like, what do you do? You, like, do they have to make small talk on the way down? Like you're plummeting to oh. your two right? Right, so write this, right. this sketch of like people screaming in terror. And they're like, I mean, we can't scream for like five minutes. That's a lot of screaming. Right. Like, right. Talk about like, how are, how's your team doing? Like it just. Right. Right. And, and then Right. But it's, it's again, it's often finding like what's human about it. Uh, about right. Like, and so also I did dialogues around September 11th. Uh, so doing community dialogues about people talking about their experience on September 11th, which in DC then overlap with the anthrax attacks through the letters mm -hmm. uh, for, right. and then during it, the sniper attacks were coming. So people were coming right. in and talking about it. Yeah. And I saw me at gas stations. I saw, saw no white vehicles. Like, like right. Fans. I remember all of that. I was living right. there too at that time. And comedy is what let people like get through, like to to say that because they weren't going to say anything seriously. Like if they talk seriously, like I was there and I was afraid. It was like, a that wouldn't get said and it wouldn't be a release. Like comedy, right. yeah, yeah. That's wow. It's like so mystery. Like how we, I, I think, like being a former serious person, I think that uh, it's amazing that we even have the capacity to laugh. So um, you obviously touched on some very difficult topics in your work. So I'm curious, what was the um the worst response you ever received for any anything you did in that range? I'm assuming that it, they didn't all land. Can you think of anything that came up that people said, oh, that's like, I can't handle that. And then how yeah. did you handle their their reaction? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of infamous for this. Uh, so we're doing, there's a, an improv format called a mono scene where usually if you watch an improv troupe, it's a bunch of different scenes. You can edit them at any time, which is nice. It's actually one of the, the nice releases. If it's stand up, you'll sometimes hear someone go like, oh, if you didn't like this joke, you're going to hate the next five minutes. Like, cause oh, right. no, you're stuck. But the nice thing at improv, like, you don't like the scene, we're out of here. Let's do something else. Like, oh, you like this mm -hmm. audience? Like, hopefully we're not just pandering to the audience, but still we can react to that. That's part of the fun. Right. But in the mono scene, kind of like a stand up, you're, You've got these characters you're stuck with that like mm -hmm. you're gonna go with them and so there was a 
doing the scene. It was in a yoga studio. It was really silly. It just um, not like even good silly, just kind of silly. Like this, it's just being ridiculous. Like these characters mm-hmm. were, were just, you wouldn't recognize them. You just go, yeah, they're weird. Right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, from my perspective, I hadn't yet entered in. We're about halfway in. You don't all kind of crowd the scene, or at least you wouldn't. We do that uh, for it like that. And they're just being goofy and silly. And I, I'm saying, I know those have good connotations, but trust me, at least from my point of view, it was like good and silly and not funny, just stupid. Just like, mm, right. right. And so to me, I walked in and it was you said I was carrying like my imaginary water bottle down my water. Like, and I was like, yeah, you should turn on uh, the TV. Uh, a plane just flew into one of the towers. Uh, mm. here <laughs> and so mm. all of a sudden we went from this silly yoga studio to like, hey, now we're we're watching 9-11 occur. Like right. this. And I right. was in my mind, I was like, I would have loved to be the silly people in, in the scene before because I was being ridiculous because how this not grounded silly character would react to oh no stuff's getting real to me like right thank you thank you for that um mm-hmm. but my scene partners and other were like like john like what the heck they they did not yeah. uh for like, yeah. like and i realized like part of it's that i know if, um i you could say desensitized or i would argue like no i was just more connected with with it like with it like no i like we should talk about 9-11 i did i had to part of my dissertation i was transcribing hundreds and hundreds of hours of people talking uh, about it like that and in, in dc we could see the smoke coming up like that like no let's let's make it matter like that would be great but that was definitely like no 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 like we don't want to do that i i still maintain it, it it could be a positive like i would have liked to be in that but at the same time right. i also get that that's a lot to unpack and and particularly when it's improv and you can't give it some real thought, you can be real afraid right. of like, Oh, I did actually punch down or I did, you know, right. Do that. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's that. I can see people being like, like, and just like putting the brakes on, on that. So, right. um, so in contrast to that, what is the best response you received from, um, from someone witnessing your performance or, uh, one of your improv scenes? What can you think of the best one that response you got from someone? Um, I don't know if it's always a single, we've got a couple of like big standing ovations, which is mm. wonderful when you're able to do that. Um, uh, open for, uh, there was a, a show, Bajillion Dollar Properties. It had a lot of uh, kind of semi famous people on it. And we were the opening troupe for them, or mm. it was part of the joke. And uh, they were like, oh, do a good job, but not too good job. And like crushed it, like absolutely mm-hmm. crushed standing ovation. And they were coming out going like, thanks, thanks for that. Like, in the, like, which is the, totally as a compliment. Like that was totally yeah, yeah. There for it. I think my favorite reaction, like I love a laugh. I, uh, yes, absolutely. I, I think you've got to, you can talk very selflessly, but there's definitely, I don't know what it is about uh, the sort of loving to hear people laugh uh, for that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got that. Uh, but uh, I also know if I can get an audience to say, ah, or like mm-hmm. like that, like now I'm like yes, like there. Um, and in part, it's also because that's when the good laughs are going to happen. Like if you get an awe, right. you better believe that your laughs are going to be so much better after that. But getting that awe is much. It's really gratifying to be able to do that. Oh yeah. I man, you know what? I really appreciate you saying that because I think that comedy has evolved at least on the on the wider public stage to inc- incorporate a lot m- more emotions than just laughing like i think people want like a, almost like a full-bodied experience and to be taken on a journey more so in recent times than maybe in the past like people like hearing like you know this is that and it's funny haha but i think the because 
um, we have become more complex as humans and in our, you know, different things that we know about because of access to media and all stuff like that. Comedy has to be more complex. And so like getting an awe is like kind of like a part of the journey, a part of like the person being like, wow, that was a full experience. So I appreciate you uh, calling that out. I know I did. I haven't done a lot of improv. I've barely done any, except for when I preached. When I used to preach, I used to improvise quite a bit. So I guess there's that. But I um I actually did improv in high school uh, a couple times, and the first time I did it was like I had detention for something. I don't even know what I did, but I got detention, and I was walking um out of the school building and i stuck my head into the drama class and uh through the window I, was, I didn't stick my head in but i looked through the window and i made some faces at some of the people that were doing improv they looked over and i was like i made some kind of goofy face and next thing you know the door opened up and it was the teacher the drama teacher and she was like are you disrupting my class and then she's like you're gonna get detention and i was like i'm coming from detention right now <laughs> and then uh and then she said, well, if you think you're so funny, why don't you get up here and do improv in front of the, in the group? And I was like, well, I don't know what that is. And then she said, well, I'm going to give you a scene. And then, you know, you just act it out. And I was like, my heart was beating fast. I wasn't like a person to get up and like, you know, be in front like that. So I hadn't overcome that yet. And so I was like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. What am I, you know, what am I going to do? But then I didn't want to get like more detention. So I went up there. And then she was like, okay, here's the prompt. You just called your girlfriend. Her dad answers the phone. He hates you. And he wants to know, why are you calling his daughter? Go. But the funny thing was, that was my exact situation in real life. <laughs> like, my girlfriend's dad hated me. And like, like what? I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. I know exactly how to do this. And so I made like, it a lot, a lot more funny that you could relate yeah. to that. Yeah. So like, I did it. And then she was like, that was amazing. You got to be in drama class. And I ended up in drama for the last two years of high school. I love it. I mean, I'm, because I'm of that. Like, we're going to use improv as punishment, but I, two things that, that, that hit for me was one that um, we're talking about comedy audiences getting more sophisticated. I think so. And there's different kinds of laughter. I had to, a great instructor while she's still doing improv. One of my favorite folks, uh, her name is Jet Evelis. She's uh, I think out in LA right now. Um, and uh, Jet um yeah, two of my best notes i've ever gotten in improv one it sounds like this harsh harshest note but it was given the most love i'm in the middle of the scene it's being really silly and she looked at me and said i'm so sorry but i don't fucking believe you um which was this great like again this part of yeah. like, that's and beautiful absolutely like commitment and then the other was she was describing you know there's different kinds of laughter from the audience like ha 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 ha, ha like mm -hmm. like that and then there's the from the heart from the belly and the yeah. gut it makes you come out from the green room to go what's that fun what's so funny about that mm -hmm. and like that's what, like if that's what we really want to get there's a a style of improv that's very heady like oh well if this happens then this might it's just sort of it's clever and mm -hmm. i can watch that and go like i get it it's funny like technically it's funny and i'll watch some audiences right. like, like laugh and they will laugh but it's still a different kind of laughter than like oh no that mm. gets something true not just like oh i see what you did with that clever like turn of phrase or something but like oh right. god that's a truth that hits for me that i can't do for that and the other is that improv is punishment so i do 
I get to, to taught improv and train like for performance, but the main gig I have is running uh, with corporate training programs. So mm-hmm. the majority of the time I get called in to teach improv with folks, it's it's not to make them perform on stage. It's because they want to build competencies around communication, collaboration, creativity, and stuff like that. But in improv classes, even if people are scared, uh, unlike what you're like, they usually, they at least signed up, right? They wanted mm-hmm. yeah. to hear, like a lot of them are going like, Karen, why the hell did you do this to us? Like what? And sometimes right. I even tell them in advance. And I always start with like, congratulations, you know, for the next two hours, for the next half day, like you're all in an improv group. Some of you are going like, yay, like I had that on my bucket list. And others are going like, oh no, why? And like, mm-hmm. oh no, why is a fair place to start with that and to be able to yeah. sort of connect it. People are terrified of improv, like I've got to be funny or it'd be awkward. And at the people who are going, oh no, why are the people who do do the best? They're the ones who often mm. come in. I've mm. never seen uh, like a more the, the happiest group of people I've ever consistently seen in my life. I'm including weddings, like you name it, or whatever. Is almost any time I watch students coming out, not not corporate training, like they, they it's great to sort of get the afterwards that people are going, I was terrified, I loved it. But for the performance, um, we don't do this for corporate training, but in classes where they're together for like eight weeks or so, they have a showcase mm-hmm. performance and they're mm-hmm. terrified. I would not, usually at least once every teaching term, I get someone whose goal was, I don't want to throw up. Like mm-hmm. right. the happiest people I've ever seen in the world consistently are the people who are stepping off stage after, the, after, after their level one showcase, just could not be beaming and happier uh, for that. And so, yeah, being that, that improv has all these like fears of, oh no, um, which is weird because it's, it's, most people don't, we're not reading script notes for like, like human beings improvise. There's neurobiology right. and active MRIs, professional improvisers, whether or not they're uh, from the stage, from comedians or jazz musicians and other groups, mm-hmm. brains are structured the same way. The only thing that's really statistically significantly different is that their dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is the part of our brains associated with self judgment. Mm-hmm. And they're tamped down while they're performing. Mm. It's not like the jazz oh, musicians wow. don't care as much that we absolutely, you know, want to do a good show, but it's it's to do it well, we slowly learn to let go of self-judgment in the way. And I don't I it's I'm glad we can be self-judgment. I I wish sometimes people would recognize would would demonstrate a little bit more self-judgment, but there's so many times in which I think it prevents us from being honest with ourselves and those around us and fully sharing and with that. And as long as we're holding stuff back as much as anyone could say something nice about me. Like I know, yeah, mm-hmm. you're saying, but like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sharing myself fully with you. Right. Right. When right. I say the thing like out loud that I've often been thinking and I was, a very, and, it, and it comes back with that, that mean, that's really being seen, right. That's yeah. really connecting. And I, for me, uh, I'm pretty dogmatically dogmatic. I was mother, uh, Catholic father, Jewish. They, dealt with it by never talking about it right and right. whatsoever right. uh on it um i think i got a little bit of my father's uh, the judaism of of like we've got to laugh like oh it's it's a we, we have to on that um mm. but when i do think about spirituality uh, and and what it is i often there's the the argument if if god is good they are not god if god is god they are not good or whatever like like, mm. like how can we go through such suffering and when i think mm. about the human condition at least we like can you imagine if we weren't given laughter like that would right. be hard like right. you've got to do like there is life is hard and if it's meaningful it's like how do, like it's not clear what that is we everyone lives lost so much is impermanent uh, mm-hmm. on like that if we didn't have comedy uh i don't know how right comedy is what makes it and the ability to laugh is what makes it possible uh for being able to do that so yeah so yeah. that was a wide-ranging 
answer there, but yeah, we're no, no, it's it's awesome, it, and it brought up so many things. Like one of the things I love about doing this uh, podcast is the things that come up that I haven't thought about before. Just like when you were describing like the different types of laughter, and I know from like um that there's different types of tears. And the, even the pH level of tears is different based on what people are crying over. So if they're crying because they're sad, or if they're crying because they're happy, like the pH balance is different. And so it's very chemically different tears. And um, and it's like if that's the case, like with the different laughters, like what chemically, how chemically different are these different types of laughters, and how they you know play out in our bodies and how we show up? What does it release? Um, what is it bond, you know, like a suppressive laughter or whatever, all these different things came up for me when you were talking about that. And I'm like, man, and, and then when you brought in the spirituality, which naturally I kind of go towards from my previous uh, background and just like the way I'm, I've chosen to be wired. Um, just like the beauty of the capacity to laugh over time is like, I would say almost like an experience of grace. You know what I mean? Because I, there's stuff that I laugh about now, like um, like I, even crying. Like there's one person in my family, like kind of like broke my heart one time, and it was like it was, it, and I was like really sad. And I normally don't let myself go that deep into those emotions, but now I, if I tell the story about it, I laugh because of how how much I was crying because I like it was, and it's not funny, but it's right. funny because I'm like, wow, I like let that. Like that really got to me. But then it's like, I've heard other people because I was more stoic for a long time. And I heard, uh, I used to watch other people like get really emotional about stuff. And I would like uncomfortably, like I was kind of like a nervous laugher. So I would laugh at like people, when people were sad, I would sometimes laugh, but I didn't mean to, I just couldn't help myself. And it took me a while to like stop doing that. And I didn't understand some of the feelings that they felt that made them get so upset. So when I actually felt it from this this person in my family, I was like, whoa, that's what they've been feeling. And then I felt like, oh, shoot, no wonder. I was like, that was rude of me. Like, I feel terrible. Now I know what it's like to cry these hot tears. Right. Like, wow, these hot, salty, burning my face tears. And now I know what it's like. And then later I was able to laugh about it and go, man, I was crying hot, salty tears. Yeah. And like, and, and even when people hear it, like, you know, like snot in my nose and I'm like, dang, like that happens. But like just the broad range of like the emotional expression is like, um, just like completely fascinating. But I'm, I am grateful because like we, you know, we live in a world with a lot of polarization, a lot of toxicity, a lot of division, all of these things. But if time, and you know tragedy uh together equal comedy then we can we're probably going to be laughing about all of these things eventually you know society's so. going yeah society's going to be laughing about all these things eventually it might be hard to get to now um you know the shortcut might make it feel like it's too soon but I, we're gonna we're gonna be laughing eventually i hope we do i hope uh, and i think i think we often this might be like so stand-ups and improvise improvisers there's there's sort of a we're, we're cousins, but but it's not always friendly. It, it, there's mm. there's definitely like little barbs that go uh, that go either mm -hmm. way at the same time. And I performed some of my favorite Samson folks. I got to do to do improv um, with Seton Smith, uh, who now does mainly does stand up uh, for doing that. Um, just a lot of people that started improv and go to comedy. 
And I do think that there's this idea, we often talk about comedy, like the value of it as a consumer of comedy, right? So I'm watching mm-hmm. a comic and they give it. Right. What I really love about improv is you can go see improv shows and I appreciate that, but most improv theaters, really the the heart of what they run, like economically why they work, for example, is classes. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's, oh, you're just getting people to sign up for classes and that's it. But I, I think going to see an improv show can be wonderful. Laughter is healing and all that. But the real value in improv is that it was really it was a move originally to democratize the stage, right? That anyone, mm. and I think it's wonderful to consume comedy, but to make comedy is I think some of the greatest strengths of it uh, mm. for it. And so um, when I think about like the value of it, like, you could go to a corporation or something like, oh, and now we're going to do improv or to a stand up routine, and they laugh, and that's great, they connect. But you know, one of the one of the one of the reasons why I'm brought in is because they want to do team building or connect mm-hmm. in there. And some of it, people have such terrible associations with, because a lot of it is like trust falls. I don't know how anyone thought that's going to make you trust. God forbid that over Zoom, right? Like, so, right right there. But if you can get people to play together, like really play in a way, that is connection to me. Like it's a genuine connection that means something to do that. Um, And if you get people to be, to build these skills, like all the skills that improv does are the exact same things I would teach in grad classes for what do you do in a post riot, post war torn region and a post civil mm-hmm. war, what do you do for that exact same competencies to be able to do that? And the nice thing about improv is that it gives them a chance to do that in a way that's not, let's do a role play of this difficult situation, but like, let's do it. Let's just get to this one skill and do it in a non-threatening way. That's so much about improv is about uh, a lot of it is, if you had to describe it, really what I do, it's pushing back on fear-based instincts. That, that, mm. like oh, that's pretty, a good way. The, yeah, yeah, that's a good description. Really about that. And, and it's a physiological response. Everyone has it. No one wants to sign up for a fight, fight or flight recovery thing, but but really right. like on, on fight, flight, uh, or technically freeze, fight or flight uh, or whatnot. But if you can move to calm, to laughter, if you can move to calm, that that's mm-hmm. it's very hard to be both simultaneously. And so I really, I love it uh, for that. And so for me, the, I found one of the reasons not sort of returning to academia and staying it is at the end of the day, when I see the people doing these improv and they're laughing, they're being silly together and they're working together, they're learning and internalizing it in a way that's not like you can, I get to, I've gotten to work with the FBI's hostage rescue unit for doing Mm. work. And right. So you talk about, uh, you know, the, the FBI or crisis negotiation uh, unit, and which does hostage rescue, and there, in case if there's a, a hostage, they have they work with what's called the ladder or staircase of behavioral change. Top of the stairway is behavior change, right? Like let mm-hmm. hostages out, let a medic in, and things like that. Step one and two is active listening and empathy. Sometimes it gets called mm-hmm. tactical empathy. I think it gets more mm-hmm. buy-in that way, like that. Right. But like, what's the empathy range? Like, what's the what's the, where do you go to practice that? And a lot of it's really simple. Like you can say active listening or empathy is important. And like one of the things I try I teach is this idea of listening down to the last word when we're having mm-hmm. a conversation with someone and they say something we disagree with or wrong, we stop hearing their voice in our head and start thinking about right. it. And there's all kinds of reasons like cognitive dissonance, uh, confirmation bias, we're humans are bad at that. So if I get them to change mm-hmm. one thing, it's when they're in a difficult conversation and they stop doing it, listen down to the last word. Um, there's yeah. a a famous negotiator who teaches his first goal is to get the other side to say that's right, right? I Means you mm. like, where they're at, like that's hurt. And again, that's in a hostage scenario. So I don't think anyone's mm. having a difficult conversation. It's difficult to get more polarized than that. 
so I can tell them like, hey, you should listen down to the last word or doing that. But, you know, it's simple in principle, but it doesn't make it easy. Like running a mm-hmm. marathon one foot in front of the other until you cross the finish line. Right. I, I haven't done that, but it sure it doesn't look easy. Uh, front, but that right. That. So what struck me when I would, would teach like in grad programs, teaching this stuff to negotiation students or clinical psych students or whatever, um, it's not rocket science. Like I have a PhD in it. So I think I'm allowed to make this kind of like, it's not rocket science. You want easier study right. in some ways. Yeah. It's not like organic chemistry or, or calc where you're like, going like ah, what do I do? But nothing right. about organic chemistry class or a clout class asks you to change fundamental habits that are connected to your identity and fear-based right. Habits, right? Like that's a difficult kind of hard. Like I don't think anyone from Cal class is going to have to see the counseling department way more likely when you're dealing with things like this. So when someone does like, oh, I want to do a comedy class to stand up and certainly for improv, they might go like, oh, you know, I just I want to be funny, but really they're going to be doing some to get better at it means doing some significant internal work. Yeah. I'm glad yeah, we don't I see that. On that. I don't think that's going to get a lot of people, but that's really what's going on in a way that's I I find I I've been in therapy for many done therapy for many years uh, if there but improv has for me been one of the most effective ways to work through the things that are difficult for it. And, and that's awesome. And I hope more people um get into um, examining this, this, what you lift up in this idea of improv. One thing that came up in my mind too, is like, you know, some, I think some impolit, some politicians are improv, uh, professionals. Cause I'm like, man, they like, they just say whatever, <laughs> like they get a prompt and then they just say it like it's a whole new show. It doesn't matter what they said last time. It doesn't matter what's on tape. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it doesn't matter. They're just like, they're just in the moment improv and they're like, here's a prompt, go for it. And they're like, okay, no new taxes or whatever it is. And uh, th- that's also a way of making from my, my lens. I'm looking, not that I'm really looking for, but I'm almost looking forward to seeing the next thing I see in the news cycle and witness it and go like, hmm, this person's improvising. <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? and I haven't trained in it. So I've, I've done work with politicians. I just, yesterday, literally yesterday, I came from Annapolis for a large thing for um, government advocacy summit. So these are all mm-hmm. not politicians, but people whose professional work is for things like ALS, like professional associations to meet so right. 80 people in the room. And we're all doing that for the connection um, and trying to do that. And that's absolutely a skill for it. I realized another way where it connects to like traditional standup, I, I think, um, you'll often hear standups talk about one of the like an important part of like they you've got to bomb. Like if you you meet a comic, mm-hmm. you oh, bomb, yeah. like you're in trouble. But but bombing, you need to do that because you do it and you find you like that's necessary. And you don't find that in a lot of professional development. Like so, for example, mm. Toastmasters gives you like how not to say um or th- which fine okay. But let's talk about resilient communication because what really holds mm-hmm. people back a lot is fear. So. We'll play a game sometimes of time with him of slideshow karaoke where they're given a deck that they've never seen before, right? They're gonna like mm-hmm. decide, like, I've got no idea, right? And so mm-hmm. some of them will go great and some will go like, I don't, and sometimes they go like, good question. Like, I honestly have no idea what to say about this. And look at this laugh and let's move forward. So their worst nightmares come true and they realize, oh, it's okay. I, I don't yeah. think you I, you can put someone fall asleep every night and play a tape that tries to listen, like, you are resilient, you are resilient, you are resilient. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right. It's okay. Right. No, but to to make it through and be okay, that's what it really takes. And mm-hmm. you know, it'd be nice if you can get them to do it without actually failing on the high stakes job. Right. So part right. of it is putting in those situations where like, look, like you did have no idea what to say and it was okay. And what's more, everyone's in your audience has been through that. So congratulations, you just connected with them in a way that you probably couldn't have otherwise. And so 
it's not that we create situations in which they bomb, but where they could bomb or they occasionally will flub up and they know I'm alive. Like I'm okay. It wasn't as bad as I thought. In fact, sometimes those were the moments that worked the best. Like don't be distracted by what's supposed, but what's supposed to happen. No, that's great. So uh, I've, this has been a great conversation. So many things that I'm thinking about now that I, I hadn't before. My brain is improvising. Um, but uh, I want people to be able to know how to contact you. So if people wanted to learn more about you and your work, would be a good place for them to contact you? Uh, thank you for the plug. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, if you go to witdc.org, uh, so it's wit is for Washington Improv Theater, but got the nice short domain, witdc.org. That is the theater that I work for. I direct the Wit at Work program. So you'll see Wit at Work right there. Um, we do corporate training, everything from um, like, oh, right, we're doing, we've got a board that's coming together for the first time or anything like that. And we want to connect uh, with that. Or we want to just connect with this team that's been remote that's coming together. But we also do like day long. And I really love it when we get a chance to do skills building work for it. So witdc.org, just look for work. Um, and I'm the director of it when it says you know, email John, that's I'm that John or John nice. at witdc.org uh, with that John with an H uh, for my name. Thanks. Awesome. Well, this has been great. And uh, maybe if I ever catch myself in DC, I'll be able to participate in a, in a, a class or uh, some kind of uh, improv night. You can. And that's uh, one of the nice things that we get a grant from the city of it, because again, so much of it is a chance for improv. We have what's, um, uh, improv for all. So in every ward in DC, we do imp free improv workshops every month for folks to be able to do that. So you absolutely, when you come in, can jam, but also, you know, connect with me. I'll get you in with the show. We'll, we'll have a great time. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Please like, and subscribe. The What's So Funny About podcast was brought to you by the Liberation Comedy Project, which is being incubated by Mediators Foundation, mediatorsfoundation.org and managed by Unify, Y-O-U-N-I-F-Y dot org. Stay tuned for future episodes and check out past episodes as we work to bring more light, laughter, and love to this world through the Liberation Comedy Project. Bye for now.